This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 589 with Dr. Tracy Baxley. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 589. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Tracy Baxley is a mother of five, a consultant, an educator, and a coach dedicated to supporting families, organizations, and corporations in developing diversity and inclusion practices that lead to meaningful relationships, genuine belonging, and high productivity. She's also the creator of Social Justice Parenting, a philosophy that moves families from fear-based parenting to creating spaces of belonging through compassion, radical love, and social justice engagement. Her book, Social Justice Parenting, comes out next week on October 19th, and this book is definitely one you will want in your home library. As part of Tracy's book launch, I'm going to be joining her for a virtual book launch party on October 20th, and any of you can attend. So this one-hour conversation with Tracy and me, as well as our audience members, will be a great opportunity for you to listen to Tracy share stories from the book and talk through some of the most critical things we need to face if we want to parent our children through the lens of social justice values. If you want to join Tracy and I for this virtual conversation on October 20th, go to shamelessmom.com justice and you can sign up. That's shamelessmom.com justice. Listen in to this fabulous conversation with Dr. Tracy Baxley, where she shares why we must go beyond becoming allies and activists ourselves and also raise our children to become activists. Her identity as a mother of five who has biracial children, neurodiverse children, and children with mental health struggles. The pushback that she gets being in an interracial marriage. What fear-based parenting looks like, especially in comparison to social justice parenting. How to start shifting gears into social justice parenting how to talk to your kids about race in small ways that have big impact, why you can't always be the fixer for your kids, and the importance of listening for clarity and empathy, not just to solve the problems as a parent, how parents in mostly white communities can raise conscientious children who are invested in racial equity and social justice, and the importance of learning about and talking about black joy with your kids. I loved this conversation. I walked away feeling like I had a new dear friend who I'd known forever. And I got an email from Tracy shortly after this conversation where she said, I feel like we've known each other forever. So I hope this conversation to you feels like just listening to two friends talk about some real serious stuff. 
This is a really eye-opening conversation. I know you're going to learn a lot, and I hope that you will want to take next steps and join Tracy and I for this virtual conversation where we will be talking about her book next Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. This is all happening online. It's all virtual. You can join us on Zoom. You'll have the chance to ask questions live and be part of the conversation. The conversation is from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific, which is 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And if you go to shamelessmom.com slash justice, you can get signed up. You can sign up for free or you can sign up for a paid ticket to the event, in which case you will get a book. So go to shamelessmom.com slash justice to see all those options. And with all that said, let's go ahead and welcome Dr. Tracy Baxley to the Shameless Mom Academy. Tracy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Sarah. I am excited to be here. So I have to tell me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. I'm so honored that you made the time. And I have to tell people how I stumbled upon you. And I don't recall who shared this in Instagram stories. And it might've been that I was already following you and you shared it, but someone shared your book, maybe you, (laughs) your upcoming book. And the second I saw the Instagram story, I was like, oh my gosh, first of all, I have to pre-order the book. And secondly, I need to reach out to this woman and beg her to be a guest on the show. So thank you for saying yes. When you got a random Instagram DM, some strange lady on the internet begging you. (laughs) That helped me discover you. So that's all good. Yay. I love it. I love it. Tell us the name of your upcoming book, and then we'll dive into all sorts of things related to the book, but go ahead and tell people the name so that they can also be like, yes, I need this now. Yeah, the um, name is Social Justice Parenting, How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World. So it's a mouthful, but it covers a lot of stuff in a very practical way. The intent was to write it so that parents could just pick it up and it's an easy read and they could have some action immediately. I love it. So a lot of my personal stories of my highs and lows of parenting and how kind of social justice parenting came to be. I love it. I think this is such an important topic. And I'll say that I know for myself and many colleagues of mine and friends of mine and you know people in different communities that I'm in, there's so much work around anti-racism being done. And so many people want to show up and be good allies and accomplices and advocates. And, and I see people that I'm in in contact with and in community with really working on this at the adult level in terms of like, you know, what we're doing as adults and awareness as adults, but then this trickle down and the opportunity for education for our children and the opportunity to raise children who are conscientious in all the ways that we're becoming more conscientious as adults and leaders, and especially as white adults and white leaders, I think there's such a great opportunity and need for us to really be aware of how we can let this become part of the way we raise our children as well, that it's not just around like how we are deciding to step up and lean in our communities. It's also how we are like looking down on our children so that they can step up and lead in their communities. Definitely. You know, I always say this idea of parenting being it is activism, right? It's because mm-hmm. what we teach our kids and how we model for our kids really is the way that they're going to show up in the world. And Absolutely. so what we do behind closed doors in our homes become, you know, very private as our kids start to navigate into the world. Yeah. The question I always ask at the very beginning is tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. So presumably you're pretty excited about your book launch, but (laughs) what else, like what else is going on beyond your bio and what else is lighting you up right now? I think there's always a connection between my personal and professional lives and higher ed in the academic world. We talk about how personal is the pedagogy, right? The way we teach and the way we show up and the way we learn is a direct reflection of what's going on in our personal lives. And so the work that I do around belonging and diversity and anti-racism is really intertwined with the way that I show up for my family. And I just think my experiences as a woman, as a Black woman, and as a mother really drive all the work that I do in my professional life. That makes so much sense. And I think that I feel that, that my personal and professional, there's so much overlap between my personal and professional life. And it's, I think that those connections are really powerful. And when we have awareness around those connections, I think it gives us more power to connect dots and be able to leverage our experiences in both worlds to go out and be better citizens and better activists and better leaders. 
can you talk about the ways that you identify? And this is a huge question. And I'm going to, you can, if you want to make it specific to how you identify as a mother, feel free to do that. But you've already given us multiple layers of identity and just the few things that you've said, and that already encapsulates so much. So how else do you identify um, and specifically as a mother? I would say my kids are biracial, right? And so that's really important for me to say, because especially somebody who does anti-racist work, I often get, well, I guess say one camp or another, people pushing back against the fact that I'm married to a white man Mm. or some people understanding that the work I do is about inclusion. And so it would make some sense that my spouse could possibly not look like me. And so as a mother of biracial children, I think it's really important for me to give them the space to identify as that. So Mm -hmm. I often say I'm a mother of biracial children, but I also, as a Black mother, I raise my kids to know what it's like to be Black in the world. And so we talk about the joys and the challenges that comes along with that, which I also have to also, over the years, really kind of educate my husband on in terms Mm -hmm. of my experiences being so different from his because he understands it from a social perspective. But when we got married, started dating and started having children, there were things he still had to learn, obviously, too. And then I also identify as a mother of kids that are neurodiverse. I have a child with ADHD. I have a child who fights against depression and mental health issues. And I have another child who was diagnosed in his teenage years, early teenage years with OCD and anxiety, who's doing very well right now as a young adult and um, managing it all. But, you know, I've had to learn to navigate in the space with all of that as well. And you have five children. We might've glossed over that. Yes, <laughs> so we do. I have five children and five children would be a lot, no matter what, but five children with really unique needs and that their needs are unique, you know, side by side as well. And that it's not, I've recently interviewed a woman who has four children all on the autism spectrum, which of course is extremely challenging, but it's four children with some overlap in what's happening. And I'm imagining that, you know, the, I think of my one child and the amount of time I invest in managing all of his stuff. And Mm -hmm. so five children with really unique needs and special needs in different areas. Oh my goodness. Hats off yeah, to you. It's thanks. It's been quite a learning curve. You know, I'm an educator. I My undergrad was child development and I elementary, got a master's in elementary and my doctorate is in, in curriculum and instruction and multicultural. So you think you have all the tools. Yeah. And then God throws these curveballs. And mm-hmm. these were areas that I did know how to handle my child with ADHD as an educator. Yeah, the mental health issues that those were new for me. And so I really had to learn to love and manage and help and support the kids that God gave me. And I'm not always good at it. I'm not always perfect at it. I'm learning to give myself grace, you know, along the way. But um, it's taught me a lot about myself as a human being. Yeah, definitely has expanded the way that I show up as a mom. I love that word that I mean, that's such a positive word to go with a job that is really hard. You know, that you say that this has expanded the ways you show up as a mom rather than feeling like you got dealt this hand that is just really hard and heavy. Expansion and expansiveness is always, I think, create space for opportunity and learning and hope and growth. And yes. that's a really great perspective. Thank you. Yes, I think to be able to manage it all, right? We have to look at it from a perspective that gives us hope. Yeah. And I just, you know, I feel like my kids have a lot to contribute to the world. And then I just always think about what is my job to pour into them so that they're able to kind of be the best that they can be. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. You talked about getting pushback about being in an interracial marriage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think when you are working in especially anti-racist spaces where you are, being a spokesperson is probably not the right word, but being vocal and voicing your concerns about the Black community and what's needed. When sometimes when people find out that my husband is white, it's almost as if I don't have as much credibility, Mm. even though I've lived my 
50 plus years in black skin that, and so that's something that I know one post I had to write because somebody said something about me hating white people or that what I do is about hate, hate, not love. And I'm like, okay, just for the record, <laughs> oh my gosh. the love of my life is white. So it, yeah. it can't be that I hate white people, you know? So, you know, that's part of the journey too, you know, mm-hmm. navigating in spaces that don't feel comfortable, but yeah. you know, it helps me when I'm teaching, but particularly white parents, how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable working in the anti-racist space. Mm-hmm. It's good for me because it shows me how I have to do the same. So I don't get offended by it. You know, I use it as a tool to know that there's still a lot of work to do for us to understand each other and to yeah. support each other. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that clarification. I want to talk about fear-based parenting and what it looks like. And before we get into that, I'm curious around your career and motherhood and what the intersections have been, because I'm imagining that will lead us right into conversations around parenting and then specifically around fear-based parenting, which I'm eager to dive into. So can you share where your career and has paralleled and then also intersected with motherhood? Because I'm imagining, like you said at the beginning, like now there's this overlap that probably can't be, or maybe even an entanglement that can't be undone. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under-sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Yeah, definitely. Because motherhood is the North Star, right? So everything else has to align with how I 
get to that North Star or see Mm -hmm. my North Star or point to the North Star. And so I would even go back as early as, you know, in college when I was after college, when I started teaching, I knew when I became a mother that if I had the opportunity to not be in the classroom every day, but to be, have more access to my kids during the day, that that's what I wanted. While I was pregnant and having my first two kids, I was working on my doctoral degree. And I think going into higher ed, part of that was having some flexibility around who was raising my kids, because I know that's privilege. Mm -hmm. So I've had that privilege. And I also thought in terms of my kids will be going to public school. So how can I have a bigger impact on teachers? Because I was working in education or teacher ed programs. And then I think when I started my consulting and coaching business, it was finding ways to create belonging so that when my kids are out in the workforce, they're able to bring all of who they are. So that's when I started working more with leaders in the space. And then the social justice parenting part really is a direct result of my experiences as a mom. It really Mm. came about when my kids were having these concerns and issues and parts of them that I did not know about, but that I needed to be able to teach other people how to see my kids. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where it started with the need for, um, because I could tell you the exact story and it's in the book, but my son that was diagnosed with anxiety, his sometimes his go-to was just to leave the house to get some clarity. Mm-hmm. But we live in a very white neighborhood. And these were the times like during Trayvon Martin and all this stuff was going on. And I started getting very concerned about my son leaving the house to think, but being in a neighborhood where he was like almost the only white black son. Yeah. And so it was through an incident with him that I realized it's not just about me telling my kids how to navigate in the world. I've got to also teach other parents that don't look like me how to see my kid as one as their kid and how to really start thinking about all of our kids are part of this village and we need to be able to work together to make sure our children have what they need in order to really kind of recreate the world that we want for them as they grow up. Absolutely. And that reinforces, I've heard you use the word belonging a couple of times and it reinforces like, and as Glennon Doyle says, we belong to each other. It reinforces that sense of belonging for a person to feel like they belong, but also as parents for us to create places where we can all be looking out for one another so that we, our children all belong to all of us. And that we can, you know, when we see the, when my white family sees a black kid walking down the street that we can be aware of like, okay, is he safe? Does he need anything? Like, how can I be supportive so that the kid can go out and take a walk in his neighborhood, you know? Yes. And Sarah, that was the foundation of social justice parenting. That's exactly how we got started. Yep. I love and that. I always say that we have to create a space of belonging in our homes in order for our children to then be the creators of belonging out in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. So it starts with us. Yes, 100%. It starts with us and it starts with making it clear to our kids that there are kids who don't have that sense of belonging. Like I'm raising a white boy, like he's going to belong, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, not that he's not going to have struggles or whatever, but like the world is going to be kind to him, generally speaking. Yeah. And so being conscientious around the fact that he can see differences and be prepared to be supportive and make accommodations in order for other people to have the same space that he's just automatically given. Yes. And I think that is part of this idea of parenting from fear, like this fear-based parenting to parenting. Tell us about fear-based parenting and what that looks like in comparison, especially in comparison to social justice parenting. Yeah. And let me just say first that you are really doing your social justice parenting (laughs) with your son. I mean, just the fact that you are thinking about how am I raising him in a world where he'll know his privilege, but be able to use that privilege in a way that it's used for tools for change. Just kudos to you for already starting that dialogue with your son. But I think this fear-based parenting is really this need to kind of control or direct or protect our kids at any cost, right? So I hear a lot of, particularly white moms that I work with, 
they want to keep their kids in a bubble, right? They want to protect them or protect their innocence for as long as they can before they have to deal with things out in the real world. And I always say to them, you know, what about kids like mine, where I don't get the privilege of being able to protect them because the world has already made up their mind about who they are. And so this fear really keeps us from allowing our kids to experience the world in ways that they can still be safe, but not at the expense of other children. Right. And I think too, in a, almost a selfish way of parenting, even though your intentions are good and you're doing it for good reasons, it really is a selfish way of parenting because the bigger picture is that you're only thinking about your own child. Right. And we need to get to where we're parenting from this place, what I call radical love. And we're parenting from this idea of the village yes. and that how we raise all of our children, how we raise our children will impact not just our kids, but other children in the world. Right. Right. Absolutely. Can you talk about some of the harm around fear-based parenting? Like you said, it's harmful to other children. And to your point, like we're, many of us are fear-based parenting because we are just being protective of our babies. Like that's just our natural instinct. But can you talk a little bit more about the harm on the other side of that? Yeah. I think part of it is that we project our own anxieties and our own adult stressors onto our kids. And they feel that they pick that up, you know, our nonverbal cues, our body language, Mm -hmm. they feel all the feels, you know? Um, So it often puts them in a fear-based position too, because they're taking on your stresses. Mm -hmm. And I think just generally it limits their experiences, their opportunities, their natural curiosities. When we start protecting them, Um, the long-term harm, I think is really the most detrimental because then they are afraid to try new things. They're sometimes are afraid of others, right? Because we've other people because we're trying to protect them. That's a big one. Fear of those who are different and you know, of course, you know, that only perpetuates marginalizing the other people, but also it limits our own kids experience. Like it's that's right. Everybody loses in really big ways and potentially not potentially and in very dangerous ways. Yes. And it really, one of the, I think the major implications is this idea of squashing their curiosity. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't want them to ask questions. We don't want them to be around certain situations, but they need that to grow and to develop and to become more empathetic and seeing things from different perspectives really widens their ideas about uh, views about life. And we're protecting them from all of it. We are squashing like who they could be and the ways that they can show up for others. Yeah, absolutely. An example I can use from this morning, my son, I'm wearing this tank top that I got for pride month. We're recording this in June. And I got this tank top from my friend has a company and the tank top has on the front of it. It's a list of women and non-binary people and their names are written in rainbow. And so my son was asking me, he's like, Oh, who are those people? And he's like reading off the names. And one of them's Demi Lovato. And I was like, Oh, these are women and non-binary people who are queer. And my friends, I kind of explained to him just what I said to you. And he's like, Oh, and he's like, remind me what non-binary means again. And I was like, Oh, it's when, yeah. And he's like, so just matter of fact, and just like to your point, curious. And so I said, it's when you don't identify as a male or female. And he's like, so I can't remember how he reframed it, but he reframed it kind of incorrectly with like a layer of nuance that wasn't accurate. So I made a little correction. He's like, okay, cool. He's like, and I really like Demi Lovato's song, blah, 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 whatever. And he like went to listen to it on Alexa. And it's like those little exchanges mean so much. Like I was like, that was a big moment right there. And to create space for those moments. And also we're not having like these weird, awkward conversations around what it means to be queer in our house, because it's not weird and awkward because like, I don't, we are conscientious about not making it that way. And I think that there's, you know, that parallels a lot of things that the conversations we can be having around race as well, where, you know, you mentioned that kids sense their parents nerves and worries and all this stuff. And so if you're like weird and awkward about race or about gender identity or whatever the thing is, your kids are also going to be like, Oh, that's this weird thing that my mom told me about. And instead, if you are just super matter of fact, they're like, Oh, okay. Got it. And like, they take this content from a really objective standpoint and they file it away to hold onto it objectively as fact and to use that in their way that they go out and lead in really small ways like my eight-year-old does. Uh, Listen, Sarah, that to me was so beautiful because that is a conversation that parents freeze on. 
Like those are the things that perpetuate this fear-based parenting because those open dialogues like that, it changes who the kids are. It changes who they're going to be and they won't get it all in the first time. Just like he asked you another question, you had to clarify. I had one of my, in my parenting group right now, I have 20 families in there that we meet. I give them some work to do at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month, we meet live to ask questions, to have dialogue around some of the work that I've given to them. And one of the moms said that she, I can't remember the exact scenario, but basically she told her kids something. And then when they were out in public, it came out very wonky. (laughs) Where she was like, as can happen. Yes, yes. And I said, you know what? That's going to happen all the time. But the great thing about that happening is you saw the gaps, what sunk in and what didn't. And you get to go back and fill those gaps in. They're not hearing it from other people, other sources that may not align with your core values. And so when you see those gaps happen, then you circle around and say, hey, remember last week when we talked about XYZ? Let's talk a little bit more about that, you know? And so having those awkward moments where we're uncomfortable are great because it helps you to see where those gaps are that your kids are having, what you need to fill in, what they got, what they didn't get, and how you can teach it or have conversation around it differently so that then they have a deeper understanding. Right. And it can feel like, this is not to say that I'm always super comfortable. (laughs) There's definitely times where things are really clunky. And when I don't, this, here's what I do when I don't know how to bring things up when we're in the car. So you're like not making eye contact and there's something will be triggered in a song or something. I'll be, and I'll just turn the volume down and be like, Hey, do you know, blah, blah, blah. Do you know that like some people don't identify as male or female, or do you know that some people are treated really poorly because the color of their skin. And like, I just will throw out a random question that becomes a conversation starter. And those things start. I'm always like, this is going to be clunky. I don't know where this is going to go or how it's going to land, but it's in doing that a few times that then you start to get a little bit of comfort around it and you get a sense of direction and you're like, okay, now I see where I can take this conversation and pick it up later. And so like, you have to have those kind of those clunky beginnings. And I love that you said, like, you're going to have to fill in gaps and you're going to see where the gaps are over time. Cause for sure, but you just have to start because the opposite of that is you can absolutely sit in your own discomfort and say nothing and never bring up the thing. Cause you don't know quite how to bring it up the perfect way or the right way. And then uh, your fear becomes your children's fear and it just continues. Yeah. And let me tell you, you can be silent all you want, but your kid is picking it up from somewhere. Totally. Yeah. And so you have to decide, do I want to do it in a way that may be awkward and maybe clunky and maybe a little bit scared? Or am I willing to allow social media, their friends, the media, whatever to do that for me? Right. So they're absolutely going to pick it up. Yeah. We're in this season in my house where we watch different like competition shows. So for example, we're watching MasterChef Junior, which is an older show, but we're watching old seasons of it. And now because we've been having so many conversations around race as my son is between like the ages of seven and eight. Now he thinks every time a white child wins anything, he's like, that is racist. <laughs> like, hold on. I'm like, I think we've missed the mark somewhere. Like, and, But it's really interesting to see that like, he really is like keeping an eye on things now. And my yeah, husband and I are yeah. like, okay, we need to like continue this conversation. Like it's not yep. always Where racist. Where are those gaps? Where are those gaps? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And he gets like really indignant about it. And it's really interesting to see, but then that's where you can see, like you can see, okay, the wheels are turning and we need to keep having conversations. Exactly. Exactly. Super interesting. Yes. I want to talk a little bit about parenting children with neurodiversity and mental health challenges because oh my goodness, the conversation around that I think is also really, really significant. And I think when we talk about social justice parenting, when we're talking to our kids about race, we can be teaching them to be allies and advocates and activists for children who look different and where their differences can be seen. And so can you talk a little bit about for you, you know, what you've learned from parenting children with neurodiversity and mental health challenges, but also how can we be teaching our children to be aware of all the different ways that people have differences that are not seen and are not visible? Yeah, this was my curveball, right? I was prepared for all the other. You were ready for race, right? Yeah, race, <laughs> like I got sexual my orientation, any, all of these. 
I was yeah. not prepared for the journey of mental health with my kids. I mean, yeah. it's really taught me, first of all, it's taught me a lot about the mental health system and how it works for children, how it works for the Black community. And there's a lot of work to be doing to be done there, which I'm starting to become a very big advocate for and feeling like I need to really put a lot of energy into that coming soon. Just the way that I saw the system work for my own kids, it wasn't good. So, but it's taught me to be, I would say even more patient and compassionate. It's taught me how to be a more effective advocate and to teach my kids even more how to advocate for themselves which is really huge. It's taught me how to listen for clarity and empathy and listen less for solving problems and giving directions, mm. which is really big for my daughter who is in her early 20s. She just turned 21. So I want to solve and fix. And it's taught this me is that gonna I be can't like, everything. This will be my demise as a parent. And yeah, like very you want to be the fixer. Yeah. I remember in my early twenties having a phone conversation with my mom and I remember her being like trying to be helpful, feeling exactly how any parent would feel and saying, I think I was in college and she was like, just write a letter to the Dean of students. And I was like, mom, <laughs> I don't want advice right now. I just, yes. just listen. Yes. <laughs> I definitely give that higher ed advice to my kids. <laughs> my mom was a teacher for 42 years. Just write a letter to the Dean of Students. I was like, if you tell me to write a letter one more time to solve a problem. <laughs> yeah, yes. listening for clarity and empathy is huge. I know I totally cut you off. So go no, ahead. No, that's fine. Yeah. So it's taught me those things are needed and that I can't explain it away. I can't fix it when she's in her, her depression. Yeah. I have to just ride with her, you know? I have to ride shotgun and be a passenger and be there um, when she needs me, but not a moment before, because then it doesn't land well. So it's taught me to be less aggressive in my maternal instincts to yeah. fix. Yeah. Um, and then I also I tried to raise my daughter with this idea, especially the last several years of Brene Brown talks about it, but I think it's originally from Joan Halifax this idea of strong backs off front mm, yeah. where you are able to set these healthy boundaries and you stand straight, you know, and you're having a tough backbone and mm -hmm. not allowing things to happen to you or with you that you don't want, but also being in a place where you keep your heart open. Yeah. And so I'm learning to apply that to myself that when my kids are kind of pushing me in ways that I know I have to hold boundaries for them, that they need it, even though it doesn't feel good, yeah. but also making sure my heart stays open and, and I feel what they're feeling at the time too. Yeah. So I'm learning to really work on that balance a lot, but it's taught me that there's some things and people and systems that I need to be fighting for that I didn't realize I needed to be in that space. Yeah. And I'm sure what a humbling experience because you're a black woman, you had personal experience to bring race education to your children and you knew how to teach them to be safe. And I, I was listening to your interview that you did with my friend, Danielle on the marriage of martinis podcast this morning. And you were talking about the things that you've taught your sons and that your sons aren't allowed to wear hoodies. And if you want to share more about like, there's certain things that you just told your sons, like these things are not safe for you and you can't do this. And that was your wheelhouse that you were prepared for. And then there's this whole other wheelhouse that yeah, you yep. see coming. And, and you teach your kids, like, obviously in my house, we, we, we talk about inclusion, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about love is love. We talk about what that looks like. We talk about, um, you know, we have, my niece has Down syndrome. So we talk about what mental challenges and what that looks like and certain words you're not allowed to use. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about all these gamuts. We know that mental health is real, but until it was like at my doorstep, there's yeah. a whole new level of what I need to do as a parent and teaching my kids. And even my children who are not on the diversity of neurodiversity spectrum, teaching them that when one of my kids is having, like my child with ADHD, when he's being hyper and he's like getting on somebody's nerves, let's try to separate the ADHD from who we know he really is. Yeah. And so I have to teach my children how to navigate spaces with their siblings that is hard for them, especially as a younger age, to separate the two. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about helping our children be sensitive and help them have awareness around children who are different than them in the classroom or on the playground or on sports teams? I know that this is a conversation that we've had. My son, since a really young age, has had been around children who have learned in different ways and which has been a huge gift. And some of those things have been really obvious and some have been less obvious, but it started in preschool when he had a child who bit a lot. Actually, there was a couple of kids who bit a lot and my son was the recipient of all of it. And (laughs) which over time, the teacher, finally, the director was like, he's really kind to the people who bite him and not all the other children are, which I was like, oh my gosh, bless his heart. And also like, you, you don't need, anyways, it kind of became this funny thing. But behind that was a lot of conversations that we were having around over the course of a few years, as this happened with multiple kids, we were having conversations around, well, so-and-so is still learning to use their words or so-and-so is still learning to be a good friend or so-and-so is still like this awareness around that, like people learn things in different ways and on different timelines, or sometimes can't learn certain things or perform certain things. And while that experience was jarring when in the first year that it happened, it's actually been helpful as he's gotten older and had more children in his classes with either visible or invisible disabilities that now he know he can recognize like, oh, well, this child is learns this differently or communicates differently because of this. And like, now he can have awareness around that and be supportive in that way. And it's, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had earlier where he just objectively is like, oh, okay. Like that's just how it is. And so now I know that about this person. So I can be a good friend to them in these ways, because I know that they learn in this way or show up in this way. And it's this really matter of fact thing, instead of it being a weird thing where anyone needs to be left out. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly, Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue, and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him, and it was getting kind of like icky, and you know, like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse. And so Active Skin Repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately. And I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect. So Vinny does not like ointmenty, creamy, lotiony things on his body, but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah. And I think a part of that too, it goes back to what I was just saying about the strong backs off front. 
Yeah. Right. So we can have an open heart and we can have empathy and compassion, but we also have to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we feel sad that this kid bites a lot, but we also have to set a boundary that the child can no longer bite me. Like we got to come up with a new solution. Right. And so this idea of teaching kids to have compassion, but also be able to self-advocate is a balance that we want to make sure that we're getting across. But I think I was trying to teach my, when he was like three, we were trying to like coach him to say like, no, you can't bite me, which. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a lot for a three year old. So that's but no, our, that's, that's, but that's the point. start of it. Yeah, it was, yeah. but I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is like boundaries and consent and like all this stuff. Yes. <laughs> but age three, it felt like it was a lot for, I mean, he didn't really connect all the dots. I'll be honest, but yeah, I mean, those boundaries are really important for sure when it comes to safety and body space and all those things. Yes, absolutely. And I think the biggest hurdle that gets in the way of children really kind of showing up for other people sometimes are the parents, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think to really be able to teach your kid how to show up for others in a genuine way, it starts with the parents kind of engaging in self-reflection, right? So we should be asking ourselves, you know, how am I showing up for my child? What um, in my childhood, in my experiences, you know, that are wrapped in this fear or wrapped in this way of not wanting to deal with certain things, you know, about our kids. And if we're not willing to do the work, like when I work one-on-one with clients, with parents, they want to know what do I need to do as a parent? And I'm like, we can't go there yet until Mm -hmm. we start talking about how you were raised. What was great about the way you were raised? What are some things that we want to change? How are your experiences aligned with the way you're showing up as a parent? So we have to kind of unpack some of those things before we are able to really show up wholly, mm-hmm. wholly, authentically for our children. Totally. If we want to raise these kids who are more compassionate and anti-racist, justice-minded, we have to be willing to unlearn, relearn, and model what it is we want our kids to do and who we want them to be. So it really starts with that. Yes. Can you talk about, this is a question that I've come up against as I've heard a lot of conversations with other advocates and activists in the space around children and race, how can parents in mostly white communities raise conscientious children who are invested in racial equity and social justice? And I think that there's a lot of people listening who are in these kind of middle-class white areas and they aren't around people that look different or live differently than them. Mm -hmm. And that can be a lot of different things. It could be race. It could be a whole lot of other things. I think that there's, you know, just definitely populations that are more similar than they are diverse and different. And how do you create children who are invested in social justice if they don't have exposure to things that are different than them? Yeah. Um, I think it starts again with self-reflection, right? mm -hmm. I also think it begins with modeling. So you may not have a community that's diverse, but that means you just have to put in a little bit extra effort to create a wider community or a wider village that you are including some of people who don't look like you, particularly in the Black community, into your children's world. And matter of fact, this course that I'm teaching right now, that's exactly what these parents are there for. How do I do that? I'm middle, upper middle class, mostly white families, who want to raise their kids to do better and know better. And so we're now talking about what does that look like on a daily basis? How do you create or on, it's called these decisions that you make have rippling effects on other decisions in your life. So if I decided to move into this neighborhood, then that has made decisions about where my kids are going to go to school, who my kids' friends are going to be, what sports team or activity they're going to do and what that's going to look like. And so how do we kind of unbundle some of these decisions so that we create space for diversity in our children's daily lives Mm -hmm. is really important. So it may take a little bit more effort, but you know, obviously if you're doing the work, it should be worth the effort. And Mm -hmm. I always say to open dialogue is the key to unlocking so much of the fear that you have around these kinds of topics Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, honestly, 
keeping your kids in the dark about these things is really a privilege, right? And not all yes. kids get the privilege and the opportunity to be able to shut themselves off from these things. And so I, one of the things that I talk about with, with my clients is that how are you using your privilege as a tool for change and not like a weapon or something to be embarrassed ab- about or something yeah. to be ashamed of using it in ways that we all have privileges and so many, you know, multiple identities, some we have in privilege and some that we're marginalized in. And so you need to be looking at how I can use those privileges in ways that I'm teaching my kids that we have this privilege in ways that we can make a difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned something earlier that I want to end on that I think is so important and so not the focus of so much anti-racist work, but I think is so significant. Can you talk about black joy? I think that in anti-racist work, which necessarily we learn about systems of oppression and, you know, all that that entails, which is so important to learn about. And also, and my friend Jasmine, Bra- do you know who Jasmine Bradshaw? I do not. Oh my gosh. So she has a podcast called First Name Basis. You two have to Oh, yes, I do. I do. Okay. I do. Yes. She's phenomenal. And okay. I do follow her on Instagram. Oh my gosh. Well, I can intro you to, now we're having a side conversation, but I yeah. can intro you to because you need to promote your book and you probably could cross promote a bunch of things. She's amazing. But one of the things she helped me realize in one of her podcast episodes a couple of years ago is I was doing so much learning around oppression and getting books for my son around, you know, historical events and more accurately depicted historical events and stuff. And she's like, could white people please get your children books of just black children living joyous Going to the store. Yeah. <laughs> It's like yes, black yes. kids have birthday parties or like things that are just like a day at the park. It's not always about like, yes. you know, these really dramatic and horrific things. And while those are important, we also need to talk about black joy. So can you go ahead and share that a little on that with us? Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's representation, right? Representation matters. Mm, and right. we want to be represented in the wholeness of who we are, not just when we're talking about negative things or uh, bad things that happen. And so I think also in our homes, in a lot of Black homes, we talk about the joy of being in brown skin. Like we talk about our ancestors and their resilience and what they did to, so that we have these opportunities. And it's just about our daily existence and what it took for us to get here. And so when we have, and we talk a lot, you hear a lot lately about the talk that parents have. Mm-hmm. And it is about staying safe, but it's also about what a wonderful opportunity that you have that your ancestors have given to you. Like you are the chosen generation to be your ancestors' wildest dreams, right? And so we talk about how wonderful that is and the joy in Blackness and Black discovery and Black America. And so I want us to emphasize to white parents that we do love being black and we want that part to be celebrated as well. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's an important piece that it's important for us to hear more about that as well. Oh my goodness. It's been so many amazing nuggets here. I hope that parents have walked away. I feel like we've touched on a lot of anecdotes and stories and and tons of in-depth topics, but I also feel like we've done a good job of giving some really tactical advice, or you have done a great job of giving tactical advice of how parents can be taking really proactive steps and starting conversations and engaging with their kids in ways that don't, it doesn't always have to be big and scary and daunting. It can be small and simple and that can have big impact. I'm so, so grateful for your time here today. And can you tell people everywhere how they can connect with you? You've already referenced, we have the book for sure, which I want you to talk about, but then you also mentioned your parenting groups that you run. So can you talk about those and where people can connect with you and get in touch? Yes. It's a six month program and it's the next one is actually starting in July. So we, I give them videos and handouts and worksheets and action plans at the beginning of the month. And then we meet live. So it's kind of a hybrid class, self-paced. And then we do a live Q and A and dialogue at the end of the month. And we, it's on different topics around anti-racism. It's on showing compassion. It's about digging into your family's core values and what that looks like and how you show up as parents. So those are some of the topics. And it's six months where we do the hybrid kind of model. Um, So that's been really great. And I try to keep the groups kind of small because I want us to 
create a community where we feel safe and we have conversations where we feel like we can be honest and truthful. So it's not a huge class. It's just a pretty manageable number of people that I allow in each cycle. Um, and I try and to this do, is I'm for trying. white parents or parents of any race? Any race. Yes. Okay. Okay. Any race. Yes. Okay. And then of course the book is coming out. And then I have smaller courses that are kind of one-off courses on this one is for white parents who want to be allies. And so that's a course that is total self pace, but okay. it's designed for white parents who are okay. trying to raise anti-racist kids particularly. And is all of this on your website? It is. Of, okay. Yes. And yes. your website is, correct me if I'm wrong, socialjusticeparenting.com? Yes. Perfect. Um, so we will link up socialjusticeparenting.com and you can look into programs there. And I highly encourage any of you who are the least bit curious to work with Tracy. I think what you're doing is phenomenal. And then tell us about the book. When does the book come out and where can we get it? How can we get it? Yes. So I think the quickest way to get everything is on Instagram. If you're on Instagram at social justice parenting, I have a link tree with everything there. The book can be bought pretty much anywhere. And I have like maybe a page where you could have five or six, if you want to the, the big box companies, but also if you want to support local, smaller there's a link to the indie books that you, if you want to buy from a local bookstore. Nice. Um, and and then that's all on fall, your link tree on Instagram? It's all in the link tree. Yes. I'm going to be traveling a little bit in the fall promoting the book. So I'm excited about that. Ooh, where will you be? Will you be well, in one, Seattle? I don't know, but I can look into that. Oh, right now, okay. I know we have something ready set for Boston. Okay. And then we have two others. We're trying to figure out if they're going to be online or in person. So I won't say for sure, but for sure, we are going to be at a local bookstore in Boston. And we're starting to put more and more things on the schedule. Now that the world is opening up. So that's exciting. Oh my gosh. The book comes out in October. I'm so glad for you that the book comes out like post pandemic or not post pandemic totally, but like when things have opened up. Okay. So we will have everything linked in the show notes. So people can go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Dr. Tracy Baxley, and then you will have your website linked up there. Socialjusticeparenting.com. We'll link up Instagram at socialjusticeparenting and people can click through to your link tree and get everything there. I already pre-ordered the book. It helps authors when you pre-order books. So pre-order the book (laughs) and oh my gosh, Tracy, this has been so phenomenal. My final question for you is in what ways are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I think giving myself grace. (laughs) Yeah. As Uh, you should in book launch season. (laughs) (laughs) You know, giving myself permission to not always get things right, especially as a parent, but staying open to radically loving and learning and creating belonging in my home and in the world and doing it, knowing I'm going to make mistakes and doing it anyways. I love it. And I mean, we've talked about modeling a lot and that's a really important thing to model. Yes. (laughs) Modeling imperfect action for sure. Thank you so much for being here, Tracy. I'm so excited to read the book. Oh my gosh, this has been amazing. I so appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time and I'm wishing you all the best. And every time you write a book, you have to come back on the show and talk about the new book. So whenever you're ready to write the next one, just let us know. (laughs) Sold. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. All right, thank you. I hope you loved this conversation and got a ton of value from Dr. Tracy. Again, if you want to join us for her virtual book launch party next Wednesday, October 20th, 2021 at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, please go to shamelessmom.com slash justice to get signed up. That's shamelessmom.com slash justice. This is an event being hosted by Village Books in Bellingham, Washington, all virtually, a conversation with Tracy and I, where we really will be continuing the conversation that we just had here and talking even more about the book and stories from the book and ways that you can parent through the lens of social justice parenting. That's shamelessmom.com slash justice to get signed up. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. 
episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.